Hi, it's Pete Price, and my podcast this week, wow, a lady I'm incredibly fond of. She's a very special lady, and she's got a lot of qualities. Uh, she is passionate about her family, well, four things, in fact, her family, her business, her charity work, and her friends, and it's Cathy Frost. Hello, Cathy. Hello, Peace. Thank you for having me on this. No, I'm absolutely thrilled. First of all, tell us where we are, because there might be a little bit of noise in the background because there's people working, but this is a bit special. Where are we? Uh, we're in our new private dining room in Panoramic, and uh, as you can see, seats up to 20 people, and we've got a bit of a view of the river and the new Everton Stadium, being an Evertonian. I like that. Um, it's a shame the weather's not a bit nicer, but but anyway. And a balcony we, as well. And a balcony, um, so you can, you know, have your champagne outside, watching the sunsets. Um, it's nice because it's got we've got a private bar, private lift access um, balcony, and you can eat panoramic food in here, and you know we can seat up to twenty people. So it's proving quite popular. And brand new. And brand new. We only opened it in the summer. Yeah. So we've had a few weddings. We've had a few corporate events because we've got AV facilities. And so we've had a few business meetings. Yeah. I think it ticks a lot of boxes. It does indeed. And we're yeah. going to talk about upstairs later. I want to find out, first of all, who is Cathy Frost? Give us a, a flavour of growing up because your mum and dad were incredibly important. Sadly, you've just lost your mum. Yeah. They were very important in you growing yeah. up, weren't they? Well... You know, I'm one of six children, and um, what's nice is, you know, we're all kind of older, you know, 50s, 60s now. We're all still in touch, and I think I see my brothers and my, my sister works for me. Um, I see my brothers all the time and all my nieces and nephews, um, and I think that's testament to my mum and dad, who were, you know, my dad was a docker in Birkenhead, so, you know, we grew up with not a lot, um, but a lot of love in the family. And I think at my mum's funeral recently, everybody said to me, you know, your mum, uh, you were her life, her children were her life, her grandchildren. And I think we all felt that growing up, you know, that sort of closeness. And once my mum had died, my dad died five years ago, and my mum died a few months ago. and. People said, oh, do you think your family will kind of splinter? Because she was the glue that held us together. But no, we won't. I think she's instilled in us this belief in family, you, you know, closeness with all your children and your nieces and nephews and all of her children and great-grandchildren. Yeah. So um, They were involved with politics? Yeah, my dad was, um, oh, from, you know, he, he's always he was a little bit lefty militant, mm -hmm. and um, he was a shop steward uh, while he was his time on the docks. He became a councillor, so he was elected onto Wirral Council the day Margaret Thatcher. So they had a um, an, a general election and a local election, and my dad became a councillor on that day. Margaret Thatcher became prime minister. You know, don't like to think about that, but. Um, and then his life became politics. He was leader of the council for many years. Um, he was chair of the fire authority for many years in a political role. Um, he was mayor uh, on Wirral. My mum was mayoress, and that was a great time for them because it was like 
they felt like they were living this, you know. Was it a good time for the kids? Did you get any grief at school or uh, where you were working or what you were doing? No, no, I was really proud because I think my dad, I didn't necessarily agree with everything politically. Um, I am a socialist, so I, I did generally believe some things that we didn't agree on. But I absolutely knew that my dad's uh, views and thoughts were driven by wanting the best for everybody. So, you know, he wasn't in poli local. I mean, you know, there's power brings corruption, they say. Um, and I, my dad was absolutely the anti, you know. Um, old-fashioned values. Old-fashioned values, absolutely. And he did everything with the real right intentions, the best intentions. And I really admired him for that. And very proud of him, very proud of what he did. And my mum supported him because it was hard for her. She had six kids. My dad was working full time. And then in the evenings, he'd go off to council meetings and, you know, whatever he did. And I can remember sitting in our kitchen one night and my mum had just put dinner out for all of us. And the phone, well, we didn't have mobiles then, it was like a landline. And it was one of his, uh, somebody from his constituency board. And a fence had blown down. Or, um, it blown and some kids had kicked the fence and everything. And she was this kind of older lady. And my dad gets up from the table and my mum's like, where are you going? I need to go and fix Mrs Jones's fence or whatever. And he goes, and I'm thinking, you're a counsellor, you're not, you know... You're not there as a handyman, but it, that's what he'd do. He'd, you know, if anyone asked him, would they help him? Would he help them? He'd be there. And that's how seriously he took it. Interesting. So there's your grounding for yeah. who you are, because you've gone on to huge heights, a very successful marriage with two beautiful daughters, a fabulous restaurant, The Panoramic, which we'll talk about, and your charity work. Where did you get your values from? Because you give, and I know you're very embarrassed about me saying this, but you do give so much back, and you don't do it f to be glorified. You do it because you genuinely believe it. Well, Where's the value come I from? Sort of feel that, you know, I came from a working class, I'm a working class girl and was brought up with those values, particularly from my mum and dad. And I think, you know, we just got lucky, really. I mean, you have to work hard, don't you? You know, it's not, it's not things are just, hand I was never going to be handed anything on a plate because there was nothing to hand except instilling your kids, which is what my mum and dad did instilling them the, the value of working hard and, you know, helping other people. I think that, you know, giving back and paying back is a way of, you know, being grateful for the opportunities you've had. But what do you also do? You, you will talk about your pet charities, but you also give to other charities so much and you never say no, which is incredible. Tell me about your pet charities, the ones that are very special to you. Um, well, there's a few, but um, well, I'm a okay. I'm a trustee on the Clatterbridge Cancer Charity, and for me, we all know people who have suffered and survived cancer or died from cancer, and a few members of my family have. And I just, you know, to be able to help fund something that could potentially save someone's life, i.e. A, 
you know, a cancer hospital. For me, it's like, you know, why wouldn't you want to help them? Fortunately, Touchwood, you know, none of my family, my immediate family have ever suffered with it. But that's not to say down the line one of us may. I'd like to think there'd be facilities there that could really, you know, um, help me or my kids or whatever. Um, so and I, I just think it, it affects so many people and they're so underfunded. So when the Liverpool hospital was built or being built, there was an element of the costs of that that had to be charitably funded. So I came on board, I don't know, six or seven years ago. And and I like fundraising, I like organising things, so, um, and to do it for a good cause, to put something back in, is really important. And is, that, think, is that your favourite one? Yeah, I love it, I love it. And you know what's nice about it is... Um, the the fundraising team there are lovely to work with just a really nice group of people um and that really makes a difference that you know you're choosing to work with people that you get on with and you like and they work really hard and even though it's a paid job for them they're they're passionate about it interesting you say about paid explain to people because i get cross about this i'm involved with claire house yes. we have paid staff there we need paid staff because it is a business isn't it it's a it business. isn't it's not amateur night at dixie it's um you know the um the the Classerbridge charity you know that they can raise a few million pounds a year on events um, fundraising, charity, bike rides, ab sales, whatever. People need to be able, that's got to be organised. It's not something that you can rely on volunteers to do because everyone, you know, I volunteer um, but I, and I'll give, but I can't give five days a week to that charity because I've got a business to run, but I can volunteer, you know, my other time. Um, that It's a business, that's a lot of money. And that has to be spent in certain areas and someone has to, you know, be able to make decisions about where that money goes. People have to organise those events. The Night Walk, for example, you know, when they did the light up. Yep. Um, you know, there's a lot of that goes into that to organise that with all the volunteers and um, the logistics of that, getting all the businesses to light up the buildings. You can't rely on a volunteer to kind of organise that. You've you've got to have a team. Of, that takes a team of people. The charity has 16 employees in it. And I think that's not a lot of people for the amount of work they do and the money they raise. And there's an awful lot of volunteers yeah. as well. So you've got to have um, some... So it's a, As you said, it's a business. It's yeah. not... Yes, it's a charity, but it is a business as well. I'm talking to Cathy Frost. We're in an iconic building that when it first went up, people loved or hated it because mm. it was our first tall, tall, tall building, apart from the tower where yeah. the radio station mm. is. How did you feel about that? Because you're very, very involved with it. Oh, I think I was felt really proud that my husband's company as a developer, you know, this whole area it used to be St. Paul's Eye Hospital and they bought this site and put the Radisson up and the passport office and this and Beetham Tower. And it was at the time, 20 years ago, well, yeah, 20-ish years ago, 
Um, it was There wasn't anything like it in Liverpool. There were no high rises. As you said, the tower was the tallest building. So I think he, Hugh was always kind of liking the idea of tall buildings, like not mini Manhattan, but do you know what I mean? It, like there was nothing else in Liverpool. So I was quite proud that he was brave enough to, um, you know, put himself out there. And, um, now, and now it's part of our landscape. It is part of the most iconic waterfront ever. Yeah. And if you look across from where we're sitting now, you see the motor building and you know, it's now there's stuff going up all the time, which is great to see some redevelopment in Liverpool because it's been a little bit dire the last however many years. But that whole waterfront thing is like... And going down towards the Everton Stadium. We're looking over the Everton Stadium here and, and, you know, me being an Evertonian, I'm really proud of that. Sadly, it's like... The only thing is, without getting into a serious side, I'm a bit worried about the roadworks. I'm not going to have a go at Everton, but the roadworks to get to it, it's not that big a road. I think the egress and ingress for that might be an issue. I don't know. Mm. I mean, they must have a road plan, I'm I'm assuming. Otherwise, it might be a bit chaotic on match days. Um, But, you know, to have a stadium like that built on our doorstep... Oh, it's incredible. And what they're going to do with it. So I'm talking to Cathy Frost. We're in Beeth. We're in on the fourth floor of this amazing building. Where did the idea of the panoramic come from? Uh, Well, when the building was being developed, built, I think we got to the, like, 10th floor. The plans had been done. It was all, you know, it was a lot of, a couple of years in the planning of this building. And I think the uh, the builders got to like the 10th floor and we decided that actually this is a mixed use building so we've got commercial space on the first four floors and then it was all residential and I think we decided a lot of places in London were building residential towers and putting restaurants on the top and bars and so we decided yeah let's put a restaurant in so the then all the plans had to change as the building was halfway up um, and I think we took that from these big London developers. It was the thing to do at the time. And, and a nice mix, uh, a mixed use for this building, you know, sort of um, commercial space, um, hospitality, residential. And so as a result of that, for example, the lifts really aren't designed for hospitality on the 34th floor they work and and the the system works but ideally we should have had a service lift for you know deliveries and what have you so that causes us a bit of a logistical nightmare at times bringing stuff up to the restaurant and you know um and we share the lift with the res uh with the residents it's just fine and it works and it has done for nearly 16 years but i think if we'd have planned it um, differently, the building would have been... If we'd have decided before it, the, the uh, construction had started, we'd have done it slightly differently. We'd put different lifts in and what have you. The panoramic now has got an incredible reputation throughout the country. 
which is fantastic. Yeah. Uh, you've had some amazing reviews. Uh, top afternoon tea in in uh, in England, which is fab. And of course, the cruise ships are coming in, which is giving you a lot of business from, lot on, of business the, from on the afternoon teas. Yeah. Did you ever imagine it was going to be as successful as it is? No, because when we opened, our um, chef at the time, uh, our um, head chef, I suggested let's do afternoon teas because my favourite thing to do is go for afternoon tea, glass of champagne. I love sweet things, I love cake. And, and so we'd go to the Grosvenor because there was nowhere else really that did nice afternoon teas. And that for me was the you know, the benchmark. And that's the Grover and Chester. Grover and Ch- Chester in the, in the library. And so we, I'd go there with my mum and my sister and, you know, and we'd say, oh, you know, this is lovely. Need something like that in Liverpool. So I said to our chef, I think we should do afternoon teas. No, 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 we're not doing, no, nobody, nobody wants afternoon tea. <laughs> so I, I thought, okay, then, well, he knows better than I do because what do I know about, you know, um, anyway. After, I think it was Let me about... stop you there. Let me stop you there. So, Kathy's just said, what do I know about? I've got to point out now, she is a sensational cook in her own right. <laughs> right, so what do I know? Carry on. But, you know, from a, a chef's... I'm not a chef. So, I think from a chef's perspective, I thought, you know, I, I suffer from that imposter syndrome. I think I'm telling him about food and what we should sell. And, and he's like, no, 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 no. So, I think, well, he must know better than I must know. So I kind of acquiesced and said, yeah, okay. You said we're not going to sell afternoon teas. It's not going to work. I'll go with it. And I think we didn't do any of, any of it for about four years, three, four years. And were you biting on the chomp? Yeah, yeah. I was like, why? You know, this is what I would do. Me and my girlfriends would go, let's go to the Grosvenor for afternoon tea and we'd have a bottle of champagne and, and we'd get people phoning us up saying, oh, do you do afternoon tea? And we'd like, no, we don't. And that told him nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, up. then he, he stopped working for me, so there you go. <laughs> um, says it all. And I just said one day, right, we're going to... You know, so we had a new chef at this point. And I said, we're going to start afternoon teas. And again, he was a little bit like, hmm you know, a bit sceptical. Anyway, we started it and uh, we've got brilliant pastry chefs, by the way. Our head pastry chef, Cecile, is a French, she's French, she was trained in Paris. You know, she knows her stuff and um, and we've had great pastry chefs over the years. And we, we decided to do afternoon and initially it was like a little trickle of inquiries. You know, we'd get a few bookings and and then suddenly, I don't know what happened, it became uh, it was a bit of a trend, maybe. Everyone wants an afternoon tea. So today in the restaurant, as an example, more than half of the guests sitting upstairs now are having afternoon tea rather than a lunch menu. So, and that's most days. We probably ser- serve more afternoon teas than we do lunch during the day. With the most spectacular views. Yeah, and I think... Um, the view, I know people, you know, they say, oh, panoramic, the view, and they and they come here for the view, and it is amazing. And even on a rainy day like today, it's still oh. fantastic. Um, but, you know, you come in the evening, you have those amazing sunsets, and you sit up there for dinner, there's nowhere better. No. 
Um, you know, the, the last few weeks while the weather's been nice, it's been absolutely amazing, some of those sunsets we've seen. Um, but I'd like to think if I drew all the curtains, people would still come. Yeah. Because, you know, our staff are great. The team are amazing. David, who runs front, our manager, he's great. Um, and we've got some great chefs with lovely food. So I'd like to think even without the view... People come, would come yeah. yeah. But the view is the icing on the cake. Here's a question that you'd never be asked in a million years. How often, first of all, how high up is the panoramic? 300, 300 feet, roughly. Right. Yeah. How often do the windows get cleaned? Oh, well, you're looking at our dirty windows. There's an ongoing issue because you will know this, Rana. This is like Windy City round Old Hall Street. So even on calm days, it's the funneling of wind yes. coming down Old Hall Street and up here. The windows are cre- cleaned on a cradle. So the last few weeks, they've done one half of the building when the weather was calm. So they look at the weather and say, we get the management company saying, right, they're going to clean the windows on Tuesday. And then Tuesday arrives and they go, oh, it's had to be cancelled because it's too dangerous with the wind and stuff. So they should be cleaned four or five times a year. They're probably cleaned maybe once or twice, maximum. I was just curious about that because yeah. I remember at, at uh, Radio City when the window cleaners who were in a cradle, uh, which was hysterical, and uh, the girls would all be there with a can of Coke. <laughs> watching, watching, <laughs> the advert. Watching the Coke the advert. Absolutely yeah. watching the guys. <laughs> yeah. Now, yeah. did you make, or have you always made the decision to be fine dining rather than just a steak restaurant or whatever? Well, what, was the, what was the logic behind um, that? It, was all, it started off as fine, fine dining or upmarket dining. The thing with this building is it's a really um, expensive building to be in. Service charges are really high, um, you know, so the costs are higher. We couldn't really be a kind of fast food kind of, you know, pizza burger sort of place because basically we, we wouldn't get that as many people in. We wouldn't get that many people in um, because of where we are as well. You know, we're kind of a destination. You don't just walk past us because who... You know, I mean, it's busy in Old Hall Street now. There's other places open. But when we first opened, there, were, there was nothing around here. You know, we had the Radisson Bar. And um, now you go onto St. Paul's Square and there's restaurants, coffee shops, you know. So it's become more of a little hub. Um, but for us, being that destination meant we had to up our game and um, offer you know, more of an experience, really. Which it is when you come here because of the views, because yeah. of the lift, because of the way you're treated. It is an experience. And an awful lot of people come here when they're celebrating, don't they? Yeah, it's, we are definitely a celebratory kind of restaurant. We've had that many proposals in here. I mean, I was working one night and we had a proposal and she said no. And it was <laughs> like, oh my gosh, okay. Did you get the bill first? <laughs> well... She, he, she walked out. No. And he was left sitting at the table and he paid the bill. Felt really sorry for him. And she'd left the building, so I'm not exactly sure what. She'll never to this day know if they got married? No. 
And I'm assuming he'll never bring another woman here again, and whether they're even still together, you know. Wow. Um, but like Valentine's night, for example, it's a really busy night for us. And I think this year we had like four proposals on Valentine's night in the same evening. So we'll do like a bottle of champagne and little chocolates and, you know, and, and I'm not sure I'd, I'd want to be proposed to in a busy restaurant where we've had guys get down. I think it's very brave in front of people you don't know to get down on your bended knee and propose because mm. what if she says no or he says no you know talking about the restaurant do you do it in shifts or is it are they there for the night when they book a table oh well we have a system we we generally um we have two and a half hours on the table so when someone if someone books at six o'clock they're generally up until eight thirty, and we'll rebook the table at eight thirty. quite often not not often but sometimes it's not rebooked so they can stay all night um but yeah i think like most restaurants we have a system whereby you know we couldn't have you know 30 people all arrive at because people say to me well there's like 12 people in your restaurant and there's empty tables why aren't you booking them filling them? i said well we'll have 12 people come in at six o'clock and then we'll have maybe 10 come in at six thirty, and then 10 come in at seven and we stagger it like that because there's no way the kitchen could put out... Because of the food you because do. Because of the food, yeah. yeah uh, you know, you can't have 20 starters all yeah. on the pass at the same yeah. time. So it's kind of staggered. So because of that, it means that you generally will have, you know, two... You, you could have the table used twice in an evening. Sometimes it's just once, but... So we're talking to Cathy Frost. We've talked about the restaurant. We've talked about the charity. We've talked about your friends. What about your family? You've got two girls. Mm. One girl's been poorly over the years. How have you put your life together? Because you work very hard. The business is your business. Yeah. It revolves around you. How have you struggled over that? I think it was difficult when Eleanor was a teenager and not well. And I spent like two months in Alder Hay with her living there so it's like I really couldn't do anything um and thank god touch wood she's you know grandmother oh she's yeah she's got two children now and she was told amazingly at the time when she was 13 and she had some chemotherapy and they said you know it'll kill your eggs and you know and so the only thing she ever wanted to do was have, be a mum and have children and she just assumed that she'd never get pregnant because she'd had all this treatment. And anyway, I think her and her boyfriend were, you know, quite happily doing whatever they were doing. And suddenly she's pregnant, which so for me, that was my first grandchild. It, she was like a, she's like a miracle baby. This baby appeared. And know? a lovely baby as well. Oh, my God. She's gorgeous. She's yeah. gorgeous. And and then she got pregnant again and again told by the hospital because she's got an ongoing issue with a heart and stuff and they said no you can't you can't have this baby it, it could kill you you need a termination and Eleanor said she's very strong tough you know and she said no gets that from a mother oh a father right? <laughs> <laughs> um, and she just said no I'm not and she was in hospital for a week and they said oh you know you can't do this you've got to have termination and Anyway, they agreed that she could carry on with the pregnancy, but she would be monitored every week. She was in and out, you know. And and now she, we've got this gorgeous two-and-a-half-year-old grandson. 
So for me, they're two miracle babies because George, maybe if she'd have gone with what the doctors had told her, he wouldn't be here now. And he's perfect and he's beautiful. And Nancy was born having Eleanor being told that she'd never have children. Mm. So it's like, oh, okay. I've told you she can't have any more, though. I was, it's too stressful. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Going through all those, preg- those pregnancies when she's not well, it's like, you know. But she is a strong lady. Yeah, she is. She's really tough. Looking back, you've just lost your mum recently, and I was very proud to know her. Yeah. Didn't know your dad. Uh, met him a couple of times, but yeah. didn't know him as in yeah. conversation. What did they think about, yeah, they've got a big family. What did they think about their daughter, Kathy, and doing well? Um, well, I think they were, like, proud. My mum and dad, as I just said earlier, like, very working class background. And But when we moved house, Hugh's family, Hugh was estranged from his family because of um, this religious sect he was brought, brought, brought up in. And so when he decided to leave the sect... His family cut him off completely. The exclusive brethren, like, if you leave to do your own thing, you you know, they don't want to know you. So he had a mother and father and sisters who live in Liverpool, never saw them. So when him and I got together 33 years ago, um, my mum kind of almost adopted him, you know, because... It's sad. Me new son. Yeah, yeah. And he was like an adopted son to her. And he was absolutely fantastic with my mum and dad. And even though him and my dad are politically opposed, (laughs) Hugh said, let's build uh, an annex next to our house and your mum and dad can live with us. And I thought, how's this going to work? Because... You know, they don't agree politically. My dad's very out, was very outspoken, very political. They moved in with us, and my dad said, "Well, we'll we'll try it for three months. Not saying it's going to work, but we'll try it." How long? Yeah, twenty odd years <laughs> later, they were still living with us. Not once did they ever argue. Wow. Didn't fall out, and my dad really appreciated, you know, us saying, "Come and live with us." But it was great for us because. We had on tap babysitters, you know, they, they, we had a door adjoining our house to their house. And so when the kids were little, we could go away for the night and my mum and dad would be there, you know. So it was a mutually beneficial arrangement and it was just lovely having them there. So, you know, I think my mum says now, or said, you know, the happiest days of their life were when they lived with us and... You know, they felt kind of looked after and cared for. So I think they're kind of proud. They're proud of all the kids. You know, she's got six children who've all done well and, you know, we're all very close. So I think they were proud of us all, really. Are you happy with your life? Yeah, very. Love it. I'd like to be 30 years younger. But <laughs> wouldn't we all? Wouldn't we all? <laughs> that would be quite nice. Now, um, I, I you know. know you're leaving me now because you're going to talk about Christmas menus. Christmas menus, and yeah. It's, we'll it's nearly booked up, isn't it? It's mental. We've kind of, um, you know, we're just about to launch our Christmas menu, um, Christmas afternoon tea menu, which is always really popular. That gets really booked up. Um, Christmas, New Year's Eve, really popular here. Because sometimes they have fireworks and people like to come up at midnight and, you know. So that's always a popular night. We've got a few things on the go. We've got a lovely wine dinner in November with some French winemakers who are coming over to, you know. So that will be great. But Christmas, this 
next couple of months hopefully will be busy for us. I know hospitality is really struggling at the moment. and um, But it appears to be turning a little bit of a corner, and especially the function room, because mm. people have got a book. People don't understand, do they? Uh, let's go to the panoramic, uh, to the function room for our wedding, and we'll book in a couple of months. People are booked years in advance, oh, aren't they? like weddings now. I mean, we've done a couple of weddings in this room, small, intimate, like family wedding things and um but i've got staff here who are getting married one of the girls the, the she was absolutely certain she wanted this particular place in cheshire and the first available date was 2025 wow on a saturday yeah. so she's booked that two years in advance so you can't just say oh no. i think i'll get married and i'll book that place because you know so when there's big events yeah. on the arena and, you know, um, the conference centre, we tend to get a lot of the corporates coming in for corporate dinners and what have you. Yeah. I know you're very proud of Merseyside. Yeah. And you've seen huge changes, as has you, building this. Yeah. We're now on a roll, aren't we, in Liverpool? Oh, uh, if you were dropped into the centre of Liverpool from a spaceship and you hadn't been here for 20 years, you'd think, where am I? It's so not like it was 20 years ago. And if, uh, we were in London at the weekend and we we're talking to people and said, you know, Liverpool is, you wouldn't recognise it now. It's so, you look at all that development over here, this end of the city as well, the money that's invested in it, you know, it's, uh, it, it can only keep going, I think. I think it rivals Manchester hands down you know it's a better city a lot of development everywhere you look there are cranes that's a sign of a regeneration isn't it you see cranes up and new buildings popping up everywhere and you know i like to think that we've been helped with that with our little development it's amazing yeah kathy yeah. frost i can't thank you enough i find you a fascinating lady I love what you do to help other people and and we only touched on that and you do an awful lot of private stuff that people won't know about and I know you wouldn't want me to talk about it. You've got the panoramic, you've got this lovely, lovely new suite. How can people find out more about it? Because they've got a book, haven't they? For afternoon yeah, teas and be, drinks. Yeah, yeah. So they can go onto our website and or give us a call. Um, I'm just about to put out um, a little um, email so we've got a lot of people on our database, so they'll get details on the festive uh, options. But yeah, go onto the website or, or give us a call. What is the website? Uh, Panoramic34.com. Very easy to remember. <laughs> but all our menus are on there, or everything we offer. You can buy gift cards. Everyone wants gift cards at Christmas. Would there's a deluge of you know uh, people booking online for. I think it's a nice little gift for, you know, I often buy them for friends. If I don't know what to get them for a birthday or Christmas, get them a gift card. And it, it's great. People love them. Kathy Ross, thank you for talking to me. Thank you very much, Keith. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us on our podcast. Why not subscribe? You know it's free. So join us and tell your friends. It's great going on walks and doing whatever you want to do and then putting P-Price on. We've got a back catalogue of over 100 interviews. Join us. Subscribe. It's free.